We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories. With what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy-to-prepare food order today, 888-457-3453, 888-457-3453, or go online at preparewithcr.com. That's preparewithcr.com. Build your emergency food supply for only $99. Limit two units per caller, 888-457-3453, or online at preparewithcr.com. That's 888-457-3453, or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Government should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Thursday here on the Steve Dace Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up later in this hour, we've explained why we think the decision that will be the barometer of Trump's presidency is whom he chooses to replace, Antonin Scalia, and why. Will he... Keep his word. Will you get a worthy replacement? Not another John Roberts, but another Scalia for a Scalia. We're going to talk to somebody who's working to make sure Trump keeps his promise and is putting together a consortium of like-minded constitutional conservatives from around the country as well. He's going to join us coming up a little bit later on in this hour. But I, I want to begin with a troubling story. And... More and more, we are watching Americans turn away from the church. And a lot of us in the church are asking why. I believe Americans are turning away from the church for two reasons. 
One is the same reason people always turn away from the church. A very famous American pastor who's done some really good work. I don't always agree with him. I'm sure he doesn't always agree with me, but he's also done some very good work. He described once in a talk I heard him give how he started his ministry. And he started it by taking a poll of the local community, wanting to find out why they didn't come to church. Well, I can answer that. I don't want you to tell me I'm a sinner. I, I, was, I used to be like them. I, I don't want to be told I'm bad. I, I don't want to be told that I'm not good on my own. I don't want to be told that hell, hell is not just for child molesters, Osama bin Laden and Adolf Hitler. I don't want to be told that. I don't want to be told that my sin's just as bad as somebody else's sin. I don't want to be told that I can't judge somebody else's sin as worse than mine because I think theirs is icky and I happen to like mine quite a bit. I don't want to be told those things. And then after you tell me those things I don't want to hear, you're going to ask me for some money to keep the lights on? I'm not good. I don't want to do that. I'm a snowflake. And the world would melt if we weren't here and there's nothing that would happen and this whole thing, and I'm special and you need me. I want to hear that. That's why Oprah's on at 4 o'clock. Weekdays, too. Get to sleep in on Sundays after last night's bender. Saved you the, tr- saved you the trouble and the resources from polling, Pastor. We already know the answer to this. Now, of course, what he wanted to know was about modernizing their methodologies, right? What, what if we did more modern music? What if we had more casual dress? And I get all that, and there's a time and a place for that. But really, the same reason people don't go to churches in 2016 is the same reason they go in 1816 and 1716 and 1616 and, and, and 116, <laughs> right? It's the same reason, guys. Same reasons. We like our sin. We want to stick. We want to stick with it. Yeah, I know. Um, I, you know, I know hell is hot, but so is this chick that I'm shacking up with. So is she, or dude, as the case may be. That's one reason why people are turning away from the church. There is another though. We and we can't. We're not responsible for that. People are responsible for their own actions in the kingdom of God. So as long as we are doing whatever we can do with the tools and the age that God has given us to reach people, if they still don't want to be reached, that is not our fault. That is theirs. You'll notice if you read the Gospels, Jesus didn't tell his disciples, hey, when people are belligerent about not wanting to hear the message, be more belligerent and just stand there and argue. No. no. <laughs> what does he tell them to do? Kick the dust off them sandals there, boys, and move on to the next town. Maybe they want to hear. Time is a-wasting. One thing they're not making any more of is time. And so if these folks in this town don't want to hear it, move on to a town that might. See ya. They had their chance. That part's not our fault. And that's not unique to any generation. Most of us don't want to hear what we don't want to hear in any context, religious or otherwise. There, there is, though, something happening in the church in this era that is our fault. And, and is contributing to people walking away. And that is for various reasons, our either unwillingness or inability to actually stand up for what we believe in a consistent basis. In an era of postmodern meism, moral relativism, attempting to combat meism and moral relativism with 
meism and moral relativism, but with Bible verses, ranks somewhere between annoying to completely feckless and ineffective. It goes against the grain of what you're trying to do. Now, a lot of times when we see this, we see this with the Hawaiian shirt wearing, you know, quintessential prosperity gospel, um, seeker friendly, tell everybody what they want to hear, up with people, uh, pastor guy, right? Who's got the youth minister with the skinny jeans and the open collared shirt and the and and the giant cross necklace that looks like he bought it, you know, on a shelf at Pottery Barn um, because it's like an engraving. It's not even a necklace. It's so large. And he's got the rolled up sleeves, right? And he's got the he's got two, more product in his hair than anybody who pees standing up should. And he and he's got that paper cup that says Starbucks, and it's it's empty. Half the cotton picking time, but he just holds on to it so that he looks cool, hip, and relevant. Hipster glasses, no assembly required. Must purchase separately, right? That's typically when we think of ministries falling, not refusing to do their calling. That's typically what we have in our mind's eye. But it's not always that simple. What we're starting to see are ministers and churches who actually understand the truth, who have gotten it right for a long time, but have now decided that positions of power within the culture, getting a phone call returned from a politician, maybe getting to ride on his plane, giving to give the prayer at one of his rallies, that that is now more important, that worldly recognition is more important than fealty to the gospel. Such a minister is Robert Jeffress of Dallas, Texas. This is not going to be relitigated by the Supreme Court. That is the law of the land. And uh, I wish it were different, but it's not different. And actually, I had to argue against some hard right Catholic and evangelicals who wanted Mr. Trump to make that a campaign issue. I said, guys, forget it. It's over. Robert Jeffress is the pastor for reasons apparently only Allah knows of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, where they also apparently don't have an elder board. Must not, they, they don't believe in any form of congregational oversight. They have no deacons. They, they have no ecclesiastical authority there at the First Baptist Church of Dallas. Because Robert Jeffers earlier this year was talking about how Planned Parenthood actually does do some good things. Why, why would he say such things? Because his boy Donald Trump said those things. And when... Skeptics in the liberal media rightfully asked, well, you're pro-life and Donald Trump says Planned Parenthood does some good things. Do you agree with that? Well, he's got a choice to make, Jesus or Trump. So he chose Cheeto Trump, Jesus. Well, yeah, Planned Parenthood does do some good things. Uh, Trump's right about that. Well, now, of course, he goes on, good morning, Texas, and they ask him an obvious question. How can you as a minister back a guy for president who believes in the redefinition of marriage? That he says he's just fine with so-called fake homosexual marriage. And that was the answer that he gave. Now, he gave this answer after he said, well, the reason people don't like us is because we're a church that doesn't go along 
with what the culture says. Thou speaketh in forked tongue. He proclaims such a thing and then turns right around and goes along with what the culture says. Not to mention there's a blatant hypocrisy here. He goes on to say in this clip that the church should focus on other things like protecting the unborn. Well, there's a, there's a problem with that. How come he doesn't want us to accept what the court says on the unborn as the law of the land, but he wants us to when it comes to marriage? More on this in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. up America before it's too late the Steve Day show so Pastor Robert Jeffress at the First Baptist Church in Dallas who's a Trump shill now on one hand just four years ago he said he couldn't vote for Romney because of his Mormonism okay I mean you want to make that biblical case cool you're the pastor you're a believer you can make that case and it's a free country and if you want to take the scrutiny for that as long as you're not uh, playing hard or loose with the, with the truth, but you think you can make a legitimate biblical case, so be it. But on one hand, he wants to say he couldn't vote for Mitt Romney because he's a Mormon, but this go-around, he was all in from Trump for Trump from the very beginning, despite his obvious moral depravity and the fact that he said he's never asked God for forgiveness. So in Robert Jeffress' mind, a guy who, other than the fact he never felt, he always felt passionate about both sides of every issue— so in, in, in Robert Jeffers' mind, Romney's not a born-again believer because he's a Mormon. However, he's lived a very clean moral life. But, but the fact that, he, that, that I think that I disagree with this theology means I can't vote for him for president. His character notwithstanding. Okay. But a guy who tells me up front he doesn't share my theology as well. And we all know doesn't have the character I can support and shill for. Explain this to me. You know who won't? You you can't explain it. You just simply can't. I'm sorry you can't. And if, again, when you go to church this Sunday, those of you who do, look around your churches and, 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 and wonder, where are all the millennials at? And this is one of the reasons why. Your own hypocrisy. Because they can't explain it either. So you just gave them an excuse not to show up. You know, our goal should be as churches that when people don't show up, it's totally on them. We didn't give them an excuse not to come. So that in the end, when they don't show up, we all know that they didn't show up because they're sinners who don't want to be told as such. Not because we gave them an easy out, a false objection. Know what I'm trying to say? That ultimately, when they don't show up, everybody knows they're just knuckle-draggers who reject God's grace. So be it. Except when we behave in the way Jeffers has behaved in this election, we make it easy for them to have an excuse. So Romney's bad theology, but good personal character, he couldn't vote for. Trump's bad theology and horrendous moral character, he can. He then says, well, yeah, Planned Parenthood does do some good things in order to back Trump up. Do you think, do you, could you imagine St. Paul? Could you imagine saying, could you imagine St. Paul standing in Nero's court saying, well, you know what? 
He paved the roads. Now, I know, I know he's got our brethren up on stakes at night, lighting them on fire. He's, got, he's staking believers through the chest and then lighting them on fire so that he can, so that they, so their, their, their orgies at Nero's court are lit at night. I know that. It's bad. That's terrible. I don't know. I don't condone that. But he did pave the roads. He paved the roads, guys. So, I mean, Nero's done some good things. Do you think he would have done such a thing? No. Of course not. And that is followed up with, we have to surrender on marriage because it's settled law. But then he turns around and says, we have to fight on life. Roe v. Wade was decided 43 years ago. It has 43 years of case law precedent backing it up. Windsor, two years ago. Who in their right mind thinks, regardless of your positions on these issues or the legalities therein, anybody that knows anything at all about law understands that something that was settled 43 years ago is much more settled than something that was settled two years ago. So why is he making this statement? There's several potential answers, and none of them are good. One, he's, he's dumb. That's a potential answer. I don't mean that flippantly. He's just this dumb. Hasn't really thought these kinds of issues through. Hasn't really game-planned out what it is he really stands for and, and what happens if he goes out into the culture and tries to stand for it. He just got caught with his pants down because he's out of his depth. Ben Carson-esque. That's possible. Another possible answer is Donald Trump has indicated he's willing to, to, to do something on the life issue, and he has. I mean, Trump has given interviews since he's been elected where he said some things we don't like, and then he turns right around and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to nominate pro-life justices. He seems intent on following through on that. Next segment, we'll talk about what that would look like and, and whether we should believe him or not. But, we, but so far, frankly, Trump's messaging on pro-life justices has been better and more consistent than his messaging on the immigration issues, been since he got elected. Have you guys noticed that? <laughs> He's been a lot more morally consistent on that. But Trump also doesn't care about the rainbow jihad stuff. And if anything, supports it. So, so Pastor Jeffress now has a dilemma. If I say Donald Trump is wrong, he might not call me back. I might not get to give the prayer at one of his rallies. I certainly won't get a seat on his plane. I won't have a seat at the table. And you know, we'd be so much better off if somebody like me had a seat at the table, guys. See, that's always what these guys think. I'll just make these sorts of compromises now to get a seat at the table, and then once I'm there, I won't compromise anymore. Show me the person that has actually followed through with this. That's what I thought. Every time somebody compromises their integrity to get where they're at, do you know what they keep on compromising once they're there? Whatever is left of their integrity until none remains. See, in Robert Jeffress' mind, he can't live in a world where he can say, just simply, I don't agree with Donald Trump about everything. And the next time I'm in the White House, I'm going to talk to him about the value of marriage and why we should fight for it. But I got to tell you, I'm, I, despite that disagreement on a fundamental issue, I'm far more thankful he's in the White House than Hillary Clinton. Because my disagreement with Donald Trump on the marriage issue aside, he has been adamant he's going to appoint us some pro-life justices. What is so hard about what I just said? Why can't he simply say that?
Did I say anything that's not factual? That's that 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 is intellectually dishonest. Perhaps because he's a sophist and not a preacher. That's exactly right. He's a groupie. This is why a lot of pastors don't want to get involved in what's happening politically. And when I say the ones that don't want to get involved, I don't mean soft-headed ones that really don't stand for anything and they use this as an excuse. I mean real pastors. This is a lot of times why they don't want to get involved. This is a lot of times why you see guys like Ravi Zacharias and R.C. Sproul Sr. who are giant theologians. You know, this is why they stay away from it. This is why. They, they, the idea of how do I get into this process without either being co-opted or becoming a political whore? How do I do it? How do I do it? Because they see what happens to men like Robert Jeffress. This is now where you, the way the church works is he is supposed to have some oversight and some authority at his church. They are supposed to call him in and say, we love you, brother. If, if you can't go out there and represent the gospel without, without saying stuff like this, then you're going to have to make a choice. The pulpit or the camera, one or the other. Because you're going out there and you're undermining the things you're preaching on Sundays. Can you imagine Christ ever saying, you know, we should stop preaching on certain things because the polling on this is bad. Of course not. That's not the gospel. That's political spin. Which is fine if you're a member of the Trump White House. But Robert Jeffers is supposed to be a pastor. He's supposed to be better than that. You're listening to Steve Dace. For a written transcript of this show, start writing really fast. Right now, Steve Dace. I'm of a All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Last week we talked on the show and I uh, wrote an article at Conservative Review about why I think who Trump appoints his first Supreme Court appointment in place of Antonin Scalia, why I think... This could very well be the barometer of his presidency. Andy Schlafly is the director of the Eagle Forum. He joins us now. He is working with a consortium of conservative and uh, pro-life leaders around the country uh, to help make sure uh, that President-elect Trump keeps his vow to appoint pro-life justices. And we want to welcome him to the show here tonight. Andy, it's been a while, brother. How you been? Yeah, fine. Thanks for having me on. Also, I haven't spoken with you since. Condolences uh, on uh, on Phyllis's passing. You know, I held very, very high regard for her, as many in our audience did. And uh, uh, the legacy that she leaves behind is something uh, certainly an, the next generation of conservatives would be wise to aspire to, brother. I appreciate that very much. She had a vast body of work that she did over 70 years in politics, and we're just still digging through it, and we're going to be digging through it for a long time. So you are hard at work. For people in our audience that don't know, you yourself uh, are, are an accomplished attorney. And and what I the reason why I wanted to have you on is because, you know, a, a lot of us, we throw these emails around to all of our friends in the movement all the time. And, and 
a lot of times I just gloss over them because I just get 300 emails a day. And, and in, if, if in the first paragraph it, it doesn't get my attention, then that means there's 299 more to go. Right. But, but when I, when I saw the one that you were sending around and I, and when I clicked on it, the level of detail on, on the records of these uh, potential judicial nominees, this is the kind of legwork that, frankly, I've not seen our movement do before. I mean, I get questions from our listeners uh, all over the country who get to vote on judges, uh, you know, in their own states. Hey, where do I go to find these guys' records? Because I can't ever know. So you have been doing the legwork on some of these names that are being bandied about. Andy, tell us about that. Yes, because this appointment is going to last for 30 years, and it's really bigger than the election itself. I mean, election was important because that decides which party gets to pick and confirm the nominee. But the nominee himself is going to last for 30 years. That's eight times what the presidential term lasts for. And the Supreme Court tends to have more influence than a president does, at least within our country. So it's important to do the research. We should spend the time looking at what these judges have written, and we should discuss it. And some of these judges are not pro-life. That's the shocking thing. We were told we were, you know, these are good judges, and, and the judges have held the right way on some issues, but they're not all pro-life. In fact, most of them are not pro-life. When you say these judges, are we talking about the list that's been bandied about since the early stages of the general that uh, that Heritage consulted on? Are these just uh, names being thrown out in the media? Are these names we've gotten from? the soon-to-be Trump administration. What, what's this list that you're working off of, Andy? It's a list of 21 potential nominees. Almost all of them are judges today. An exception is Mike Lee, who's a senator. But these were the names put forward by the Trump campaign to try to, to calm people down and reassure people that he would pick a good, strict constructionist to the Supreme Court. So it's the list the Trump campaign produced some of the names came from Heritage. Some of the names came from the Federalist Society. And most of the names that are being promoted today are really Federalist Society names. Now, I've been a member of the Federalist Society, but the Federalist Society is not a pro-life organization. People need to keep that in mind. These judges being pushed by the Federalist Society are not pro-life judges. Can you give us some examples of what you found in your research? Absolutely. Diane Sykes, who's probably the top pick of the Federal Society, you dig into her record and you find that when she was a state court judge, she sentenced to jail for 60 days to pro-life activists for a peaceful protest that they engaged in. 60 days in prison. That's a long sentence for someone who's acting on their conviction. She also struck down an Indiana law that had defunded Planned Parenthood. She said to Indiana, no, you must fund Planned Parenthood with taxpayer dollars, and she struck down their law defunding Planned Parenthood. Hmm. This is not a pro-life judge. And the Federalist Society, which is supposedly the conservative legal breeding ground, right? This is their number one suggested candidate? Yeah, that's really their top pick. And what happens is you get in D.C., you get these organizations, they get bigger and bigger and bigger, they get more and more dependent on institutional funding, they have a huge budget, and they're being funded by people who are not pro-life. And so they tend to migrate away from the pro-life position, and they try to play both sides of the fence. They try to pretend to be pro-life and not pro-life. That's how we got David Souter. Everybody remembers David Souter. Actually, not everybody does, right, because 
voters who were under 30 years old don't know who David Souter was. Well, David Souter was picked by the first President Bush on the assurances that he was going to be pro-life, and turns out he's a pro-abort on the court and ruled against us in every single abortion case except for the very first one that came up before. Andy Schlafly is here with us. He is the director of the Eagle Forum, and uh, he is involved uh, in trying to research the actual records of some of these names being thrown out there as potential Supreme Court nominees for Donald Trump. And remember that when this much ballyhooed list came out, I think it was shortly after he uh, clinched the nomination in May, that this was uh, this was thrown out there as a as a major reason why skeptical conservatives should get on board. So Andy is working to get a consortium of conservative and pro-life organizations around the country to come together to vet these potential Supreme Court candidates in order to aid and abet uh, future President Trump here in keeping his word. We're going to talk more about that here in just a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. If it's true and you still don't like it, that's a you problem. You're listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here at Andy Schlafly. He is the director of Eagle Forum, and he's helping to spearhead an effort to make sure soon-to-be President Trump keeps with his campaign pledge, which, frankly, he has been more consistent since being elected on uh, on his adamant um, commitment to appointing a pro-life justice. He's been more consistent on that than he has been on the immigration issue that was sort of his linchpin as a candidate. So uh, Andy is working with conservative and pro-life leaders around the country to make sure that uh, Mr. Trump follows through on that. And and we mentioned you mentioned the name Diane Sykes, who is the leading candidate being put forth by the uh, the Federalist Society, which is sort of the conservative farm team for trying to get more conservative justices uh, into into the legal system. Are there any other names that, if our audience hears them being bandied about, Andy, uh, they should be here? They should be hearing danger. Will Robinson in the back of their minds if these names come up. I think Steve Collatin. Some of your audience may have heard of him before. He's a problem. He's repeatedly ruled on the abortion side, and he did something in a case that came out of South Dakota where the abortionists are required to warn the women about a higher suicide rate after women have an abortion. And he wrote a concurrence where he diluted that requirement, and he said that abortionists can use their professional judgment and can tell women whatever they think is best in the professional judgment of an abortionist. Now, come on. Hmm. Kermit Gosnell does not have any professional judgment, and he should not be allowed to tell women whatever he thinks he wants to say. So that's a problem. If Steve Culloden is picked, that's a problem. And we may see the Senate oppose picks like that. This is going to be the top issue for the next couple months. Whom Trump picks? And he's going to be relying on his advisors. He may float a couple names and look for public feedback on them. If that's the case, we've got to speak out from the mountaintops about who's acceptable and who isn't. Now, Charles Kennedy from the Supreme Court of Florida is very good, consistently pro-life. And he was also on the impeachment team that impeached Bill Clinton. So this is someone who will stand up against the other side. He is probably the best 
pick for us, for our issues, uh, for the pro-life issue. Uh, he's repeatedly held against a minor getting an abortion without notifying her parents. There's a law in Florida that says you have to notify your parents, and uh, minors have come before him asking for judicial bypass of that requirement, and he said no, repeatedly, and amid pressure by other judges to try to let the minor have the abortion without telling her parents, he said no. No. So he's excellent on the pro-life issue, and that's what we need. If we can get Roe v. Wade overturned, Steve, we can do so many other good things, too. I mean, that's just the, the sticking point, Roe v. Wade. If we can just get through that and get that overturned, not only will we save millions of unborn children, but we'll have a much better court on all the other issues, too. I want to quote something you put in a recent email to uh, conservative leaders across the country. Quote, D.C. groups beholden to institutional funding defended the nomination of David Souter, so expect that again. This time, real pro-lifers are speaking out, and neither D.C. groups nor individual betrayers are going to trick our side into preserving Roe. Our audience is going to ask me, who are the D.C. groups, and then who are the 61-plus groups that have signed on uh, as part of your consortium to encourage, aid, and abet President Trump to keep his word. Can you help our audience know uh, the you know the players here on the scorecard? Absolutely. Uh, on the negative side, watch out for National Right to Life. I went back into the archives and I saw that National Right to Life defended David Souter. They're too close to the moderate Republicans. And so you can predict that these moderate Republicans who do not want to overturn Roe v. Wade, who want to avoid the abortion issue, are going to line up national right to life to back another David Souter-like candidate who will pretend to be pro-life but will really vote to uphold Roe v. Wade. So beware of national right to life. I hate to say that. And they've got state chapters in a lot of places. Some of those state chapters are refusing to sign our letter. Uh, that's because they're too beholden to the Republican establishment. And... The Republican establishment's in favor of preserving the status quo and preserving Roe v. Wade. Uh, but we've got terrific groups on our side signing our letter. Of course, Eagle Forum, Education, Legal Defense Fund has signed it. A bunch of doctors have signed it. The Association of American Physicians and Surgeons has signed it. Uh, Operation Rescue has signed it. Uh, up and down, uh, a lot of Jason Jones has signed it. He's a uh, filmmaker, good friend of mine, pro-life side, yep. yeah, uh, fabulous people have signed this since growing. We're up to sixty-five. Uh, number of radio people have signed it. Terry Lowry, you might know him. He's got a radio station down in Houston, similar to yours. And and by the way, Steve, I want to compliment you. We met at a hotel for a convention in July of last year, last year, two thousand fifteen, and you predicted then that Trump was going to um, be the candidate to beat and that Jeb Bush did not have a chance. You predicted that in July of 2015. I remember you, me, and Ed Martin were sitting around shooting the breeze about what was going to happen in this race. Yeah. I, that's and right. I, I remember that. Both those issues, I resisted your prediction, uh, but you were exactly right on both of those predictions. So early, you called that. How can Is there a website that our audience can go to, Andy, to follow you guys' efforts, or if they want to encourage and be a part of it, can they do that? Well, I'm putting some of it up on conservapedia.com under an entry called Trump's Supreme Court. So that's probably the easiest for your audience to find. It's a conservative competitor to Wikipedia, conservapedia.com, C-O-N-S-E-R-V-A, 
P-E-D-I-A, just like Wikipedia, but with conservative in front of it, conservapedia.com, and Trump Supreme Court's the entry, and that's where I'm posting all this detailed research so that we're knowledgeable. I mean, look at all the time we put into the election yep. on both sides. That's I mean, right. this Supreme Court pick is more important than Well, the and, and, and this has to be a Scalia for a Scalia. It can't be a John, even a John Roberts for a Scalia. We can have that argument later yeah. if you want when, when either Ginsburg or, or Kennedy steps down, and that's the, that's the actual fifth vote. But this one maintains the balance. This one has to be, I think, 110 percenter, no doubt whatsoever. Otherwise, this election was a loss leader, if you ask me, if you don't replace a Scalia with a Scalia. It's exactly right, Steve. You're spot on. Andy, please keep us up to date on this. I really want to help whatever I can do to help the effort, and I want our audience to check out Conservapedia. They need to see this research. I've looked at it so that they are better informed. Andy Schlafly, thank you for the work you're doing there at Eagle Forum. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Steve. All right, we'll come back with more in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. It's about convictions, not positions. Steve Dace. The sleigh bells ring. Are you listening? In the rain, snow is glistening. Well, it's it's not been the most uplifting political year, even if many of us are happy with the result. For example, the word refugee for many now has a negative connotation. But with our partnership at Heart for Lebanon, we want to focus on the children, not the adult refugees, because the children are not terrorists. And this is an opportunity for us to reach them with the gospel right where they are. Children just like Joseph. The Christ-centered education and love that Joseph is getting at Heart for Lebanon's Hope Center is changing his way of life. We had very little when we came to Lebanon during the war, but now, because of a fire in our house, we have nothing. When the teachers at the Hope Center heard about that house fire, they decided to collect some clothes to give to the family. The next day, Joseph came wearing pants that one of the teachers had given him. And that's when something very interesting happened. I found money in those pants. We're a very poor family, but that didn't belong to me. I knew I had to give it back to my teacher. Joseph could have kept that money without anyone ever knowing about it, yet he chose to do the right thing. And that's not a coincidence. Just days earlier, All of the children at the Hope Center were going through a month-long curriculum that taught about the biblical character trait of honesty. And now Joseph was putting that into practice. And that's the great thing about Heart for Lebanon's Hope Center. It turns out that Heart for Lebanon is not only helping a lost generation of kids learn the basics in English, science, and math, but they're also building a community of faith rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your one-time gift of just $98 can reach 18 children like Joseph with the gospel. Just $98 with a message that's going to change the lives and maybe the eternal destinies of 18 children in some of the most troubled parts of the world just like Joseph. Here's how you can help us. 
help them. 844-441-9966 is the number. That's 844-441-9966. You can also just go to our website at stevedace.com. Click on the banner right there on the website, D-E-A-C-E, stevedace.com. For $98, would you send the gospel all over the world to change the lives of 18 children? I know a lot of you would, so please call right now, 844-441-9966, 844-441-9966, or click on the banner right there on my website at stevedace.com. Listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Government should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Hour number two underway here on the Steve Dace Show on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Don't forget that we love to know what you think about what we think, so let us know. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up later on in this hour, we'll play a little buy, sell, or hold. Also, this is how a culture dies. That story coming up here in about 15 minutes. Yes, we're going to melt some more snowflakes. Uh, Stick around for that. But we're joined now by Josh Mandel. He is the treasurer of the state of Ohio. And as of yesterday, he is also now a candidate uh, for the United States Senate, and he joins us here on the program. Josh, it's a pleasure to have you on. How are you? Hey, Steve. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Now, some people I know and respect um, have high praise for you, Josh. I want you to know you come into this interview with high expectations. All right. I'll try not to disappoint. So why should we, we are on tonight in Columbus and in Cleveland in your neck of the woods, but why should conservatives around the country be interested in you and this race? Well, time and again, I've been the first to fight and stand up as a conservative and oftentimes stand up uh, against Republicans uh, when they were not acting in concert with our conservative values. Um, I was the first to fight and try to stand up and stop the Obamacare Medicaid expansion here in Ohio. I was the first to fight uh, to stop uh, Common Core here in Ohio because I believe that moms and dads should have the decision where their kids go to school, not uh, bureaucrats and politicians. Uh, and time and again, I've been the first to fight here to uh, stand up against radical Islam. Uh, I believe very strongly that we are a nation founded and steeped in Judeo-Christian values, and I think, think the threat we face in radical Islamic ta- attacks, uh, whether it's in New York, Orlando, or at the Ohio State University just last week, it's a threat we should take seriously. And there's no room for political correctness. Uh, there's no room for softness. We need to call it what it is and, and be vigilant and Listen, when it comes to our Judeo-Christian values and the values uh, that made America strong, uh, there's a lot of uh, liberals out there and political elite who are trying to water down those values. 
I believe we should be doubling down on those values. You mentioned you've stood up in the past to Republicans. What is what does it mean to be a Republican right now? What what exactly does it mean? Does it is it nationalism? Is it populism? Is it conservatism? If it is, what are the things then we're actually trying to conserve? I mean, what what is what is what does that even mean right now? Because that debate is raging, as you well know. Uh, your own governor set out the presidential election, um, and even though him and I probably shared similar views on Donald Trump, not for the same reasons, because uh, I think your governor's pretty liberal. So, uh, you know, a lot of us are having this debate right now about what that means. And you would not be absolved from that debate uh, as a member of the Senate. In fact, you'd be right in the thick of it, Josh. So what does this what does it mean to you to be a Republican? Well, first, I believe it's about making government small and the individual big. Uh, I think one of the things that separates conservatives uh, from the Republicans and conservatives from the folks on the left is that we believe very strongly in the concept of individual liberty and doing everything we can to advance that cause of individual freedom and making sure the people have the power, uh, not the government. Uh, Secondly, uh, I believe something that separates conservatives from uh, Republicans on the other side is that we believe in the free enterprise system. Uh, You you find a lot of folks uh, who are establishment Republicans and also folks on the left uh, who uh, are just looking for goodies out of government, and they have uh, no problem uh, using uh, government to give goodies out to their friends. You know, I think we need to uh, get rid of all that and uh, have lower tax rates across the board and really embrace the free enterprise system, not embrace uh, cronyism. Uh, third, uh, I believe seeing the Constitution as Scalia saw the Constitution, Uh, seeing the Constitution as Justice Thomas sees the Constitution, uh, seeing the Constitution uh, as a a document of wisdom uh, and uh, a document that's not living and breathing, uh, but that one that we should uh, look at uh, for the words that are on the document uh, and one that we should embrace, uh, I believe separates us from traditional Republicans and also from the left. Uh, And unfortunately, uh, you find uh, people on the left and also some folks in the Republican Party uh, as well um, who get soft on constitutional principles, and uh, that's been one of the uh, issues where I've been uh, non-negotiable and uh, will stand up. Uh, and Frankly, I, I, I raised my right hand to defend that Constitution. I was in the Marine Corps, did a couple tours in Iraq, uh, and I believe that these constitutional principles are on the bedrock of our country, and that document is uh, not living and breathing. You're 39, right? So I am. If you if we were on TV and not on radio, you'd probably think I was about 19. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's good run radio. But yeah, I'm 39 in this election. I'll be 40 years old, and Sherrod Brown will be 40 years in politics. Uh, my wife and I are raising our three children: uh, Rosie, Judah, and Gideon, uh, in the Cleveland area. Uh, but I work, uh, you know, down at the state house uh, in Columbus. So you're a young guy, obviously running for Senate already. That means you're ambitious. I don't mean that, though, as a pejorative, even though a lot of times in our emasculated culture, people look at that as a, as a negative connotation. But ambition is what urges one of the things that urges people to achieve, because you also have a life of service. As you said, you've worn the uniform. You have risked your life for your fellow countrymen. I have found in my time in politics, Josh, people run either to do things or to be things. Which are you? To do things, I, I don't. I, I don't care about the title. 
um, frankly, uh, I'm uh, running on term limits, and I'm going to self-term limit myself. I have no desire to go to Washington to spend my the rest of my adult life there, like so many of these politicians. Um, I think we should institute term limits and force D.C. politicians to come back and live under the budget and laws they, they created. So I'm not going there to be something or to have a title. I'm going there to stand up to, for the Constitution and stand up for individual liberty and stand up for life and Judeo-Christian values. And then I'm going to go home and live under the budget and the laws that I created. As you know, we've heard this from people before, and for every Ted Cruz or Mike Lee who meant it, we've put several people up there who, it turns out, did not. How are we going to know? What, what, what from your background tells us that Josh Mandel meant what he just said? You know, there's been many times uh, here in Ohio and, and as state treasurer um, where I've been uh, pulled in that back room, that, that smoke-filled back room, and I've been threatened and pressured and pushed around by uh, political bosses in my own party uh, and also by lobbyists. And I've told them very clearly, um, you know, they can threaten me, they can push me around, um, but they're not going to get me to change my mind, and they're not going to get me to back down, because in the Marine Corps and in Iraq, I've been through tougher stuff than politics. And so that's part of my background that uh, gives me backbone. And uh, the other part is that I just have core beliefs, and I, I believe when you have core values, and uh, you're you're not a Republican who just knows the talking points, but you're actually a conservative who knows the why behind them, uh, that it's it's easy to know where you stand. And so. When uh, some of the Republicans in Ohio were trying to expand Medicaid under Obamacare, I stood up and said, no, this is wrong. Uh, we're not a movement that facilitates a cultural dependence on government. Uh, we're a movement that tries to wean people off of uh, government dependence uh, and ensure that they, have, uh, they can be self-sustaining and have the dignity uh, uh, of a job and, uh, and working on their own, not dependent on government. Uh, when uh, some of the Republicans here in Ohio were trying to advance and embrace Common Core, uh, I led the charge to uh, to try to stop Common Core here uh, because I believe uh, educational decisions should be made by moms and dads, not by bureaucrats and, and politicians. When some uh, folks in my own party were trying to increase taxes here, I stood up and uh, was the first to fight. So I'm, I'm pretty used to taking on Republicans and uh, um, when I don't feel like they're acting conservative. Uh, and so whether it's Republicans, Democrats, the media, the lobbyists, I don't really care. I, I just, they're not my boss. You know, I do what's right, and, uh, you know, I do what's right under God. I do what's right under the Constitution and let the chips fall. Is there a website where our audience can keep up with your campaign and get more information if they'd like to? Sure. My uh, website is joshmandel.com. It's uh, J-O-S-H-M-A-N-D-E-L.com joshmandel.com. Folks in Ohio and throughout the country can uh, go on joshmandel.com to volunteer, to donate, and to join our movement. Uh, Our movement in this campaign is all about transferring the power from the politicians to the people. Uh, One of the things I did here in Ohio, I I voluntarily put the state of Ohio's checkbook on the internet. Every single check, the, the state writes everything from two bucks for a pack of pencils to millions of dollars for road contracts and everything in between. And those are the kind of things I'm going to do uh, in Washington as well and make the career politicians shake in their boots and give them term limits and uh, transfer the power back to the people. Josh, it's been a pleasure having you on. Keep an eye on Brian Phillips, all right? He's a little, he's a little shady, all right? He's a good one. All right, thanks for being on our show tonight. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. 
want your country back? Keep listening for instructions. This is Steve Dace. Okay. One of the things we try to do here on this show is what we call three-dimensional thinking. All right, so the first dimension is to know why you believe what you believe. The second dimension is to know why other people believe what they believe. And then the third dimension is to understand why people believe what they believe about what you believe. Right? This is how you can establish relationships, a rapport with people. You can be persuasive, etc. I'm, I'm stumped here on the second dimension. I am on this one. Because I, I, I don't want to be snarky, conservative talk, radio host guy. That's not true. That's too late for that. <laughs> He's dialed in on that one, Aaron. <laughs> All right, head platter. Yeah, here's the take a swing. Indeed. Uh, what I mean though is I don't want to be like the the stereotypical low lying fruit version of that. You know what I'm saying? Where we just sit here, rip on the same straw man, make the same jokes. You know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to say, okay. right? What what people who make a lot more money than we do doing this to? We don't want to do that. <laughs> Calling Sean Hannity? Anyway, I didn't mention any names. So I I am I I, because I want to win people over to our side. So I I try to know. But I'm like that guy in Dirty Harry when he points the. I got to know. I got to know. I I need to know why some people just believe the things they believe. I just this one though. I and a lot of times I, I I get it, even if I I can't get there myself. Right? I get it in some level. This is not one of those times. This I don't I don't get it. I really don't. Who's the they? Do tell. The Los Angeles School District has set up a hotline and opened what they are calling and I quote extended support sites. Why? In response to a high level of student anxiety. About the election of Donald Trump as president. What is this number? Can I dial them right now? <laughs> on tomorrow's show, Aaron, you are to, by the time we get on here tomorrow night, you are to have found, you need to find what this number is. Okay. And just record. <laughs> what, what, call in yes. and just record it just to see what, and have a, and, and you know, and have a, and, and if it's a, you get a live person, have a conversation how do I, in fact, and just be earned, how do I know if I'm having angst? I, yes. What if I'm not sure I am? What does that look this like? This is happening tomorrow, folks. How should I deal with it? Yes. <laughs> yes. This needs to be done. This is going to be great. On behalf of America. Yes. All right. Parents and teachers learned about the new resources in a recorded call from District Superintendent Michelle King. She said the aim was to answer students' questions. And address their worries about, quote, the potential impact on them and their families. And, quote, to provide you with emotional support and referrals to outside resources, unquote. If you are a cotton-headed ninny-muggins about Trump being elected president. And, of course, the message was distributed in English and Spanish. I I can't imagine. I can't. I I can't imagine after Reagan housed Mondale in 84. 
some liberal city school district had a support line for kids to call because they weren't sure how they were going to handle Ronald Reagan's re-election or George W. Bush's election. Even in 2000 with the recount, we didn't see stories like this. Dude won the presidency by, uh, by what was a 5-4 vote on the Supreme Court. We didn't have hotlines set up. Snowflakes calling in. What am I going to do? How can I go on? I don't understand this. I really don't. Why? Tell me why. I... Does anybody know? I really don't. I can't. I don't. I can't get it. I even understand crying on election night if you vehemently disagree with the other candidate and and you were heavily invested in yours. Let's be honest. As much as people in our audience had fun with the crying Jordan memes with Hillary Clinton supporters on election night, if the result had been the other way around, wouldn't the same pictures yep. be at Vox, Slate, Salon, right? Mother Jones, they'd be running all the same photos, just they'd be people with our wearing our uniform, right? So I, I get that. Elections are emotional, you're heavily invested. It's it's like a major sporting event in a way. It's the Super Bowl, and there's not another game for four years. I get it. I get that on some level. It's been a month. And you're setting up a call line for students who just can't process it? Todd, this is how a culture dies. We just, forget ideology, we just raise complete and total wimps on on a fundamental level. This is how a culture dies. Well, these are the same people all year long that are sitting around in meeting rooms and developing the curriculum and the pedagogy to turn your kids into piles of mush. I mean, th- that's what we really need to be thinking about this. This, uh, this, this, isn't, this is an extension of that. It's not an outlier. It's not a momentary, oh, I this thing's been hard. We're a little emotional right now. This thing is going to go away. No, it keeps, you know, like Spinal Tap. No, ours goes up to 11. Well, 11 keeps getting louder. There's always a, you can keep, you can keep calling it 11, and it's still getting worse and worse because there's new levels of 11. Hmm. And this is the latest one. And if we have – this is the primary gift of what Donald Trump has done. And there's, we've been very clear on this show. There's many things that are the opposite of gifts, but this one is a gift. He has truly laid bare the madness of the left for far more people to see – than they did before or even if they did see it they would make excuses about it there are far more people just because he said things plainly it kind of woke people up you love you we love the uh, avengers and it's like when hawkeye in the first one he's under that trance and you just need to get hit hard in the head by scarlett johansson to be broken out of the chance donald trump just hit a bunch of people hard in the head and they woke up and said this is crap we're going to laugh at this. We're going to mock it. We're going to destroy it. Amen. I, I think the people in academia uh, up and down, whether it's the Los Angeles school district or academia in the universities and colleges, uh, they're, they're all run by progressives. They're all run by Marxists, people with no moral compasses. And when you have no moral compass, 
I believe you turn into a person who is desensitized. So anything that resembles actual emotion is to be lauded. And, oh, yeah, you know, um, this uh, feeling is to be uh, lauded and blown out of proportion because, hey, there's there's actual, there's, there's, I, you can feel something. Okay, I, I get that about the educrats. I get that. So you mean to tell me there's no parent that might hate Donald Trump's guts, that, 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 that might, might be looking forward and to his one time, to, to his future potential impeachment, and might be totally different than us politically, but didn't read this and say, you are not turning my kid into a wimp. Seriously? Yeah. There's, there's nobody like that N- nowhere. Well, what I hope there is is some rich conservative out there who's going to pay a future college education of a high schooler who will troll this system like Aaron is going to. You're listening to Steve Dace. We're not concerned about what you think, but why you think it. Steve Dace. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. So each week here on the show, we play a little game called Buy, Sell, or Hold. Our producer, Aaron, sends out a series of provocative statements. Todd and I decide whether to buy, sell, or hold, and why. And last week, I believe, we instituted a new rule, gentlemen, did we not? We did, yep. You're only allowed to use a hold one time, so that you don't just sit here and wimp out, go squish, rhino on us. No, call, make, make, call your shot. So you only get to use hold once. Otherwise, it's a total violation of the dude code. All right? Make a decision. All right? One of the things I'm trying to teach little Noah at home how to do is make decisions. He gets, he's very indecisive. And so I'm trying to teach him, hey, men make even bad decisions. Just make a decision. <laughs> All right? So hold. Buy, sell, or hold, but you can only use hold once. Aaron, fire away. First, uh, a combination of dissatisfaction with the Democratic Party and the appointment of Ben Carson to be chief of the Housing and Urban Development means the GOP will see huge gains in support from black uh, people across the country. Can you clarify what are huge gains? Huge put, gains. Put it, quantify that. What does that mean? Uh, let's uh, let's put because when you're getting seven, twelve is a huge gain. Fifteen is a huge gain. I mean, so w- mm-hmm. what's huge gain? I'm saying uh, five to fifteen percent gains over the course of the next couple of elections. Sell. I don't think there's any chance of that happening. I don't. Not even a five percent gain. Um. Okay. If if could it could they could it could it be if everything goes just right? And and because keep in mind, it's not just whether Carson does with HUD what you know I suggested on the show earlier this week and wrote about today at Conservative Review, but but the administration has to have a record that reinforces his message, right? So, I mean, if you see them, you know, cut a whole trim down, cut down what is the real unemployment rate? Uh, if you see middle class wages, which have been stagnated since uh, the 1990s. If you see those uh, begin to grow, we've had this, this has been the slowest extended period of economic growth in this country since post World War II. So, if we go from two or three percent to four and five percent growth, if those sorts of things were to happen, then I think you could maybe get five or so. But I, but but you're dealing with historical dilemmas and problems between blacks and the Republican Party since the Civil Rights Movement of the '60s. And, and I think it's, it's going to take something transcendent um, 
to get them to embrace the Republican Party uh, in any numbers, significant numbers. Or I think it will take a, another party which has a similar message but doesn't have the baggage, the historical baggage of the Republican Party going back uh, to uh, the civil rights movement, Todd. I'm going to buy. I expect— Look at Todd bringing the optimism for a change. I'm going to uh, expect that political correctness will continue— uh, to die the uh, death that is necessary for this change to happen because political correctness is largely what psychologically keeps a group there that continually did, not only does not benefit from it decade after decade after decade, and by benefit, it, I mean um, progressive politics, but their own towns are now going up in flames. Race relations are worse than ever, and that happened under our first black president. So I believe the potential is truly there. And uh, I would have, I would have probably had come close to selling before I saw the country say to Hillary Clinton, "You know what? Enough is enough. We're not buying your scam anymore. We are going to take the crazy person over political correctness." So I'll buy. Donald Trump's favorability rating will le- will reach at least fifty six percent during his first year in office. I will buy that one. I, I think that there will be a honeymoon period that I think he will achieve that Hillary Clinton would not have. What's it at right now, by the way? It's right around 50, actually. This is the first time he's been positive since he became a candidate. Is it 50-43 or something right now, I think is is what I saw? Mm -hmm. All right, so this is the first time he's been on the plus side of the ledger since he started running for president. I'm going to buy that, and the reason being is I think Trump is not nearly as ideologically committed to any ideology as Hillary Clinton would have been. So I think Hillary Clinton would have... uh, would have come into office. I and I think she would have, I think her foreign policy would have been uh, different than Obama's in several ways, several of which we might have even approved of. But domestically, I think she just would have continued what he was doing, um, regardless of what the polls show or anything else. I think Trump will be highly, highly driven by what the polls show. And if, if he, I think he'll be high, I think he will look at this as just give the people what they want. And I think at least to start, that will pay off. Now, over the course of time, it may not. We shall see. But I think in, in year one, Todd, I think there will definitely be a, a swooning period because of that. I agree. As long as circumstances don't overtake him, in a, and I'm talking something big, 9-11 in the Bush presidency, I'm obviously talking about whoever knows what could totally change the playing field. But if the playing field is what it is now, I'm absolutely buying. More buy, seller hold here on the Steve Day Show in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. Right versus wrong, not right versus left. This is Steve Dace. Or buy, sell, and hold, or hold, I should say, here on the Steve Day Show, here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. And neither one of us has used our hold yet. So we do have one punk out available. Aaron, fire away. Humans really will land on Mars in the next five to ten years. Sell. I don't think there's almost any chance of that. Negative integer chance. 20, 25 years, maybe. Negative integer. Uh, Negative. No way. No way. We're going to, no way, no way, unless we, well, let me rephrase that. 
Uh, the only way that will happen, I'm still saying sell all the way, the only way this would happen is privatization of the space program. They've been trying to do uh, air quotes. There, there's, there's, there's no way our, our nationalist populist president is going to say, let's spend a couple trillion dollars to go to Mars. Um, he already thought Air Force One was too exact, spending. Exactly. <laughs> We're not going to spend a couple trillion dollars to go to Mars rather than try and create. If, if we're gonna, Let me tell you what we're going to spend a couple trillion dollars on. Creating phony manufacturing jobs, not aerospace engineers. We're not going to Mars. I sell for all the same reasons. I can't imagine uh, this government with all of the undoing of the last eight years under Obama. That w- That's priority number one million. We've reached the point where televisions can't really get better than they are in terms of picture quality. Oh, I would sell on that. I think that, um, I think, obviously, HD was a huge leap forward. I think I've told the story before when we watch stuff in, uh, in just plain old digital or analog on ESPN Classic or on YouTube. My son Noah's eyes squint. Like, How did you understand this? How did you know what this was? I mean, he can't, he can't fathom it. doesn't compute, right? He's lived only in an, in an HD world. And, and, you know, now you have Ultra HD, you have 4K. And I think those make the screen pop all the more. Um, I think that uh, especially when you see the market uh, for this technology and the amount. And when you see, when you see sales are high and prices go down, because mm-hmm. normally you have supply and demand, right? When sales are high, what typically happens to prices? They go up. But when you see sales are high and prices go down, it means that companies are, I think at least what it means is companies are investing a lot in new technology because they're trying to figure out, hey, what's the new thing that, that my competitor hasn't gotten yet that we can you know, develop our own little corner niche in the market? For a while, people thought that was going to be 3D, and then it turns out people don't want to wear glasses when they watch TV at home. And, that's, and so 3D was supposed to revolutionize things. It didn't, and we made the quick transition to UHD and 4K. But so, yeah, I, I, don't think, I, I don't think we've reached the peak of it at all. I don't. I, and I think what's largely going to drive this is sporting events. I, I think is the cost of going to sporting events is so high that a lot of people want to just say, I, I don't want to put up with the crowds, the nasty bathrooms, the drunk next to me. And, and so I think when you see more and more people interested in, in staying home and watching events instead, they're going to want to have a more immersive experience. And I think that's going to drive demand for ingenuity, Todd. Yeah, I'm going to buy. I mean, I see things in the future. It's not just picture quality, but we're somehow you can control the the camera angles you see. That's why I said a more immersive experience. Yeah. I, that's why I use that, that I, phrase. I can also see that the uh, 3D thing comes back because the technology where your where your contact lenses are basically mini computers, and where you, you can just kick in and put them into 3D mode. It's going to be getting weird. It's going to be getting weird. See, that, that all sounds really cool to me. <laughs> yeah. I'm, see, I'm totally in on stuff like that. I love stuff like that. Aaron, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, this year's college football playoff games will have even lower ratings than last year's. Uh, the first two, I should say. Uh, sell. I think the Clemson-Ohio State game will be higher rated than either of the New Year's Eve games that were played last year by itself. Um, Alabama-Washington, I think when you look at how much of a blowout that is, Washington's a team that is on the West Coast, doesn't really have a lot of cachet. Um, I, I could see the ratings for that being mediocre at best. But I think Clemson, Ohio State, 
Ohio State is a powerful national brand. Their last game against Michigan was the highest-rated college football game uh, since we started having the current existing television contracts in 2004. So you throw in a powerful national brand with Clemson, who a lot of people remember from the run last year, and that they took Alabama to the final seconds. I think that game will do better than either of the two New Year's Eve semifinals did a year ago. I'm going to pick the scrappy long shot on this, and I'm going to buy, because it is just a terrible idea. Uh, Steve, oh, every, the games on New Year's yes, Eve? Yes. This is the last time they will do it. They've said that. Well, why, why do it? I, I am so tired of all the powers that be that run college football. You're all idiots. You're bad at your jobs. You're ruining everything. <laughs> this is something that uh, ESPN fought from the very beginning. And I don't remember why they said they, they didn't want to play the games on uh, December 30th or January 2nd instead. But this is the last time they've said that when, the, when, the, when New Year's Day falls on a Sunday that they will have the games on New Year's Eve. Well, these are people that are living a myopic life. I mean, I know football is beloved. It is a a, a national uh, civic religion. It's New Year's Eve is for things other than football, and people will set it aside. I agree with that. If uh, if I were playing along, I I would buy that as well. Uh, Another college football question. An RPI-like system will be introduced for college football within the next five years. Those who don't know, it's the rating percentage index. It's quantity used to rank sports team based on strength of schedule. NCAA basketball already uses it, uh, but football doesn't. Bye. It won't be exactly like the RPI, but they will come up with some sort of metric that is quantifiable um, because you're sending too many mixed messages. On one hand, you say Ohio State got in because they played a a good non-conference schedule, went on the road, destroyed Oklahoma. On the other hand, you're saying to, to Penn State, if you would have played Portland State instead of um, Pittsburgh, your in-state rival on the road that day, and won the Big Ten with a one loss, you'd be in the playoff instead of Washington. So Washington's non-conference schedule doesn't hurt them, but, but Ohio State's non-conference schedule is why they didn't have to win their own conference. The conflicting messages are going to require some kind of clarifying metric, and I think we'll get one. You know, I've been uh, calling this for uh, quite some time, uh, but I'm going to sell. Everything you just said makes too much sense for the idiots. Which I just why got you don't talking think about do it? to embrace it. Uh, this last one is going to be an easy hold for both of you, I, I fear. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers will repeat as NBA champions this season. Uh, sell. I won't have to hold that. Sell. Sell as well. Warriors have the addition of a hungry third superstar and vengeance from what happened last year. And LeBron year. isn't Michael Jordan. Yeah, he can't the, do this twice the, in a row. Too many intangibles for the Warriors. They, they won't have that. that won't happen to them again. You're listening to Steve Dace. Check us out online at stevedace.com, where you get show archives and opinions each day. You're listening to Steve Dace. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go... So this time of year, all of us are being asked to help those less fortunate for a lot of worthy causes. But we on this show believe there is no better cause than the gospel. For example, for right now, for $98, you can reach 18 children in some of the most troubled and dangerous parts in the world with the message of God's Son and salvation. Children just like Peter.
When the Heart for Lebanon team found little Peter sitting by the road selling water bottles, he was brokenhearted and had just been shaken up by the Lebanese police. I was selling water so my family could survive. We left Syria because of the war. My daddy was shot and killed right in front of me. My mother grabbed me and we came to Lebanon. Peter is one of the thousands of children who have fled the horrific effects of war and terrorism. Most are living in makeshift tent cities with dirt and disease everywhere. It's the worst humanitarian crisis since World War II. But Heart for Lebanon is there, providing a Christ-centered education. It was over two years since I went to school, but thanks to Heart for Lebanon, I'm learning again and I know I have a future. I don't have to sell water bottles anymore. You can provide a future and a hope for these innocent victims of war. Your gift of just $98 will help Heart for Lebanon bring the gospel to 18 refugee children. That's an entire classroom at the Hope Center, Heart for Lebanon's school and faith community established and growing right in the midst of this refugee crisis. Please be as generous as you can. Kids like Peter are depending on you. Your one-time Christmas gift of just $98 can reach 18 children just like Peter right where they are with the gospel. Just $98 to reach 18 children like Peter. If if you think that's a worthwhile investment, please call 844-441-9966. That's 844-441-9966. If it's easier, just go to my website at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Click on the banner right there. On my website at stevedace.com. Again, this is going to be the best $98 you've ever spent. I mean, you can send the gospel to 18 children, just like Peter, whose story you just heard, all over the world in places where these are some of the darkest places in the world. Now, we can send the light of the gospel to those places. 844-441-9966. Listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 3 here at the Steve Dace Show on the Salem Radio Network. Thanks for hopping on, tuning in, sticking around. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. At Steve Dace Show. Coming up going to share with you a really cool book I received recently, and the author, Kevin Baker, is going to join us. It's called America the Ingenious, How a Nation of Dreamers, Immigrants, and Tinkers Changed the World, and, and this has 
really some cool stuff in it. We'll talk about that here at the bottom of the hour. But first, it's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. It is three questions when our producer Aaron gets to ask us any three things about any three things. Nothing is off limits. There's nothing too tawdry, too personal, too mundane. Believe me, if there's something mundane, Aaron's going to ask it. He can ask us any three things he'd like, but there is one rule. He has to answer the same questions as well. You got that right. Uh, first question comes from Scott, who submitted his uh, question for consideration to Aaron at SteveBase.com, if you would like to do the same. If you had a choice between limited government without social conservatism or big government socialism with social conservatism, which would be the better path, do you believe, for achieving your goals? Um, I don't think either one of those options achieves my goals um, because for reasons we have explained, you're going to have a very difficult, you're going to have a very difficult time having a limited government, having a, having a big government and a moral people. And the reason being is why do you have a, why do you have a big government? Because people don't want to face the consequences of their actions. That's the whole point of a welfare state. It's to subsidize other people's poor choices. Well, if people don't want to face the consequences of their own actions, that means they lack personal responsibility. The reason they lack personal responsibility is they lack morality. And immoral people doesn't want to have to face consequences for their actions. So when they, um, when they have sex outside of marriage, as uh, God says not to, and create another human being, they don't want to face the consequences of raising said human being. So instead... They want permission to kill it. Or they want you to fund the baby for them. Because, of course, they didn't ask you to come over and help them make the baby, but they do want to have you help them feed it. Okay? So I, I, the question is a false choice, as we like to say in philosophy. And what is a false choice? A false choice is, is essentially where someone tries to present you an equally bad or worse option in order to get you to, to choose their preferred uh, bad option. Both of these are bad options. Now, if you were to ask me, however, um, which has the better chance over... I would not support either one of these for the reasons that I just articulated, okay? But if you were to ask me if which of these two philosophies, if attempted to be implemented, would more than likely get me to a government more in line with uh, what the founders intended and what God suggests... It would be the limited government with social liberalism. And the reason being is because the limited government already accepts the premise there are certain things government doesn't have the power or the freedom to do. Once you make that argument, once that premise is established, it is much easier to argue other things government can't allow or do than it is to establish that premise in the first place, if you know what I'm trying to say. That being said... Essentially, the argument being presented to me is, would you rather live in a world controlled by uh, Bernie Sanders or Ayn Rand? And the answer is no. Hmm. Well, a couple things. Remember, if, if uh, men were angels, uh, we wouldn't need government. So the more government we have, uh, the more d uh, demonic we're getting. So big government is absolutely an ugly 
uh, sign of the times. It's not a place uh, we want to live in or be. So I'm with Steve. I'm with uh, limited government uh, side of things because, remember, the big government is also the gun in your face that compels you to do things. If it's the uh, flip side of things, there are powerful social forces at work. There is certainly evil among you, but you're far less likely to end up in jail. You might have to fight in, with your fists in the middle of the street, but I'll take that chance one-on-one -on -one versus uh, the force of the en entire uh uh, government posse coming to get me. See, see, I don't think limited government with social immorality is is a conceivable is an achievable goal of our species. It, it it cannot happen because if I because if I if I don't have if I have if I have so if I have social immorality, I don't want to accept responsibility for my choices, guys. And that's and I want somebody else to accept it for me. And that's how the government gets big. You can't have one without the other. Yeah, I think we get into this habit sometimes, and um, I, I used to do this where we kind of separate, um, you know, uh, physical or f fiscal, uh, economics, what have you, from the uh, morality of, of social conservatism, if you if you want to uh, call it that. There, there's no separation there. Uh, economics or big government, um, uh, have, you know, government in control of everything. Uh, there's uh, that's that's not an amoral proposition. So I would agree. This is. As you said, uh, in philosophical terms, a, uh, a false choice. Speaking of philosophy, question two, what's one paradox that's kept you up at night in the past? A paradox that's kept me up at the past. Why were there three Thompson twins? That is something I have been wrestling with ever since Hold Me Now hit number one on the Billboard, Billboard charts in 1984. Why are there three Thompson twins? That is a mind scrambler. That is something, Todd, that has perplexed me going on a fourth decade now. The 80s hurt, cut you deep, as it's said in Shrek, huh? It cut <laughs> yes. you deep. You cut, me deep. you cut me deep, Shrek. Cut me deep. Yes. And in the morning, I'm making waffles. Uh, the paradox. Good grief. Uh, Donkey is the most uh, underappreciated animated character. Agreed. Or, uh, certainly on the list. Agreed. Yes. Well, I'm just going to be cliched here if I talk about the, the problem of pain or the why do good things happen to good people. I mean, at the end of the day, these are things that all get in all of our craws, but I, I, I feel like I'm supposed to be more original right now. See, I, I don't view that as a paradox. The, the paradox is why do good things happen to good people, which is what you didn't mean to say. You meant to say why do good things happen to bad people. Oh, is that what? But, but thank you, you for but, clarifying. But what you subconsciously articulated is the true paradox because there aren't any good people. That's the paradox. There aren't any good people. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is good but God. Even Jesus himself said so. So the, 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 the very question of why do good things happen or bad things happen to good people in and of itself is a false premise. But, but the reality is, it's very, the answer to this is very simple. The, the, the simple answer is, all creation groans with sin. You're bad. The, person, the people around you are bad, the people around them are bad, and the people around them are bad, and the people around them are bad. Since everybody's bad, guess what they're going to do a lot of? Bad. They're going to do a lot of bad because they're all bad. That's what they're going to do. The reason why this is so perplexing for people to accept is they don't want to accept they're bad. We suppress the truth in our unrighteousness. We exchange the truth for a lie. We don't want to know. We do instinctively know. If you think you're basically good, I want you to stop right now. Think about some person who wronged you. And for the next 10 seconds, I want you to think only good thoughts about them. You're right. You can't do it. You're not basically good. You're not 
basically good. Take the next minute. Do not think about yourself at all. You're already out. You're not basically good. No one's good. The, the reason why this is so hard for people to accept is they don't want to accept that they're not basically good. That's the paradox. That's the paradox, is that this ought to be one of the easiest things of them all to accept. We know we're not basically good. We know this. But we don't want to admit it. Because if I do, if I cognitively admit I'm not basically good, then I'm going to require something or someone along, somebody else to come along and be my intermediary to make me good. And I don't want to have to deal with that. I want to be the master of my own fate. Everything you said was implied, by the way, just so, <laughs> just so we're clear. Uh, one, one for me. Uh, if you don't think through it very deeply, it, it can keep you up at night. The Ship of Theseus or Grandpa's Axe, if you've heard of that one. If I replace uh, piece after piece of a ship and all of a sudden I've replaced all the pieces of the ship, is it a new ship or is it the same old one? That one that can keep- That's not nearly the conundrum as why were there three Thompson twins? Yeah, three. Um, I, I actually didn't get that. Until Plus, please get out more, Aaron. <laughs> the what? <laughs> I, no, You've never I, heard of that? You, I have never heard of it, no. Oh, holy cow. Man. Uh, last question. If you were able to combine... Yes, uh, this last question proves I need to get out more often. <laughs> if you were able to combine two or more animals together to make the perfect pet, which animals would you combine? I'll t- I'm going to go first. It's a liger. It's my favorite animal. I'm going to go kangaroo with the head of a lion in the brain of a chimpanzee. Going with a liger. My daughter wants a pegasus, so it's already been accomplished. Really? It's in, in mythology. How about half man, half goat? I'm sorry, that's already taken. Never mind. You're listening to Steve Dace. This is the show your atheist college professor warned you about. This is Steve Day. Now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. See, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. This is the Nightly Buzz, where we go back, take a look at some of the headlines we missed from earlier in the show, because we just can't get to everything even in three hours. And these are headlines reported back to us uh, as uh, the buzz uh, on your social media at your water cooler, as reported by our producer Aaron, and we've got uh, the hot takes. Thank you, Steve. First story, John Glenn, the former U.S. Senator and the first American to orbit the Earth, died today, according to Ohio State University. He was 95 years old. Wednesday, it was announced that Glenn had been hospitalized more than a week ago. He made history in 1962 when he completed a three-orbit flight in a cramped space capsule dubbed Friendship 7. He later served for nearly a quarter century as a U.S. senator. In 1998, he returned to space at age 77, becoming the oldest person to ever do so. Quintessential American hero. Uh, his politics, uh, ideologically, is a longtime Democratic senator from Ohio, notwithstanding. But I mean, he's a, he's the he's the quintessential American hero. I, I watched the movie The Right Stuff a million times uh, growing up as a kid. Uh, many of us first became aware of who Ed Harris was as an actor when he portrayed John Glenn in that movie, and it's just uh, you don't get much more Americana. Uh, than John Glenn, Todd. 
Yeah, one of the original space cowboys. And when mm. he when he went up into uh, space, he, he there's a, a quote of his, and I'm just going to do a rough paraphrase that uh, you know I don't know how people go up there and see what I saw and not believe in uh, the hand of God. He was also uh, deeply uh, patriotic. He he was a Democrat, wasn't he, as a senator? If mm-hmm. I, yes. Yeah, he uh, was a liberal <laughs> Democrat, yes. Um, it was funny watching some uh, Trump cultists uh, on social media today rip John Glenn posthumously for defending Bill Clinton during his impeachment. When so did Donald Trump. Yeah. So. Anyway, Todd, you were saying. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't remember specific uh, initiatives that he was for or against. I, I do remember uh, a classy man. I do remember kind of the kind of Democrat that uh, you probably could have a grown-up conversation with and uh, then go your separate ways after uh, duking it out. So he is obviously a rare breed in multiple ways. Next story. Fresh off her election loss, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton made a plea for Congress to find a way to crack down on quote-unquote fake news, which she said... Okay, okay i got to call a timeout. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. So a woman who lied to a bunch of people that a video is what caused Benghazi deleted over 30,000 emails f- illegally, I believe, from a private server while she was the Secretary of State, said that her husband's sexual uh, peccadilloes were not true, but the result of a, quote, vast right-wing conspiracy. Uh, This this woman is is bemoaning fake news, Todd. Do I have that right? Yes. Hutzpah much? Self-aware much? I mean, this is about... I'd say it's about as shameless as you can get until you realize yesterday Brian Williams, of all people, was, was bemoaning fake news. Come on now, don't pee on me and tell me it's raining. Yeah, the honeymoon is over and there being any realistic chance of uh, the left learning from their mistakes. You do have to give them credit, though. They just flat out, the thing they are guilty to, and when I say guilty, I mean guilty. I mean electric chair guilty. They steer into it, and they will try to make the other side the one who has to bear the brunt of it. I mean, it is fantastic. They are they are willing to go all the way on making sure that somehow it is us on the right. The Again, this is a version of the vast right-wing conspiracy still, is it not? This is classic behavior of a bully uh, who, who's been punched in the mouth and cannot believe that that's actually just happened to them. Okay, so having stood up to a couple of bullies in my day, including one who raised me, one of the things you learn is that Bullies, most of the time, the first time you punch them in the mouth, will call your bluff, thinking maybe you just got some delusions of adequacy, you know, maybe uh, maybe, uh, maybe you got some peach fuzz that day, uh, or a, a stray hair showed up on your chest, so all of a sudden you think you're, you, you, you're, you've manned up now. So they'll, they'll normally make you do it twice, right? So uh, Trump is in no way, shape, or form a conservative, but to these people he is, right? I mean, to them, to them he represents us. And so he punched them right in the mouth. They paused for a second, started tasting their own blood. Is that what I think it is? Somebody hit us back? Really? Thought for a second about whether we were serious. Have now, And that was the brief moment of introspection, right? They've now determined we're not. So they're going to triple down on the cray-cray. The dog will return to its own vomit. 
And what's going to happen is they're going to have to get punched in the mouth two or three times more. And then once, once, once everybody sees Trump punch him in the mouth another couple of times, then what happens with the bully is once the bully's been brought down, everybody then decides they got to get their pot shots in now. Everybody, like the bully sitting there bleeding out, the, t- the little twerp with the taped rim glasses comes over, kicks him in the side and says, yeah, and that was for the sixth grade, right? So, I mean, that's where we'll go next, okay? They've, they've decided we don't really mean it, so they're going to double, triple down. There's this story about the AP earlier today, just totally fabricating a story of police brutality in our home state. I tweeted it out earlier. It's just, it's heinous, despicable. Even the, vi- the police videos out just totally undermines the account the Associated Press ran with. All right. So they've decided we really don't mean it or or they've or they've decided they can't accept that we might. So we'll hit them in the mouth a couple more times, knock them out. And then when they and then when they're lying down, bleeding out, other people will come along, and get their pot shots. in. that's what will happen next. Next story. Cadets at the famed Virginia Military Institute are being offered coloring books as a way of dealing with the stresses of becoming citizen soldiers. No, no, no. Uh, let's see. Lexington, Virginia, of course, is home to one of the most storied educational institutions in the nation. Now, I, however, I'm just, just going to forbid that story to be occurring. No, no I have decreed. Thank they, you. They have a new stress buster. You don't want to hear about stress busters. Uh, no, they have a stress buster. It's called a mag. That's why they're there. They're in the military, man. All right. Not romper room. Their stress buster is a mag. I think we all agree that General Mattis can't arrive soon enough. No, no yes, yes. Time what? to crack some skulls. Yes. Okay. What uh, is the... Uh, un- 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 unless they're stressed out because they don't know what gender their bunkmate is, no. No. What's the uh, line in Hacksaw Ridge of the uh, drill sergeant uh, talking about the rifle? Uh, this is uh, this is your mistress. Yes. That is, that is the stress reliever. Yes. Uh, last story. Uh, Steve, I know Todd and I have seen this, uh, but there's been this viral video uh, that's been going around where this Australian guy and his buddies are out in the outback uh, searching for wild boar. When they think they've found one, their dog has found one. When they actually come upon his dog, it's in a headlock by a kangaroo. So the guy runs up, punches the kangaroo in the face. And um, it's kind of like what you were just talking about with the left. It was, uh, it was bad. Have you seen that video? I have. In fact, I was at lunch with some folks yesterday. We were talking about this video. And one of them said, I can't believe he punched a kangaroo. Why? Where are the animal rights groups? And I said, hey, it wasn't to protect his human child. It was to protect his, his dog. dog. Yes. So therefore, it's okay. You can punch the animal in the face if it's protecting another animal. But if it was to protect his own toddler child, he'd be in a jail cell right now. You're listening to Steve Dace. Application for your foundation. This is Steve Dace. Got this book in the mail the other day, took a look at it. I said, hey, we got to get this guy on. This is, pardon the expression, ingenious. Uh, it's, it's a really cool book. In fact, it's called America the Ingenious. How a Nation of Dreamers, Immigrants, and Tinkers Changed the World. Kevin Baker is the author, and we welcome him to the Steve Day Show tonight. Kevin, uh, it's a pleasure to have you with us. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on. So, Kevin, how would you get the ingenious idea to write a book 
chronicling the history of American ingenuity? I have to admit it was actually through my publisher, Leo Ronan. Uh, we had worked together before on a book, uh, the companion volume to America, The Story of Us, uh, the TV series that was on History Channel. Mm-hmm. And I wrote the uh, companion volume to that in three months. I like to say it uh, might not be the best history of America ever written, but it was certainly the quickest. So, um, so Leah had this idea to uh, to do this book, and we put it together. And then all we had to do was come up with seventy six great things Americans invented, or if not invented quite, at least made popular, commercially viable. Beloved, indispensable. How'd you come up with 76, and, and what's the cutoff line? I mean, why not 75? Why not 78? Why not 63? Why 76? Well, 76, of course, was from 1776. Right, I that figured it had some idea. symbolic value, but I just wanted to clarify that. Sure, go ahead. I, I admit halfway through I was I was thinking we should have done 50, one for each state, <laughs> but uh, but I was uh, I was happy to do 76 in the end. Now, if we're going to have 76 inventions that stem from our country that change the world, there, there's there got to be, I, I guess we would call it a breeding ground, right? There, there's got to be the conditions sure. on the ground for why this would happen. And, and what are some of those common denominators that you found? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, some of the things I was picking up, and one of the great things about America is that there are so many uh, different contributions to things. It's almost like we have a fail-safe system of sorts, but uh, some of the things I was finding were, you know, basically the ideas of freedom, that we attracted a great many people here and their voices could be heard. Um, you know, people like Asa Whitney, a uh, distant cousin of Eli Whitney, simply a dry goods merchant in New York, he comes up with the idea of the transcontinental railroad and really pushes it. And he's saying that this is going to put us right in the middle of the world of world trade between Asia and Africa and Europe. Not too many people thought at the time in the 1840s of Africa and Asia as being big trading partners, but he had this idea. Other people who saw the vision, such as Theodore Crazy Judah and John Fremont, pushed it through and, you know, a little big assist from Abraham Lincoln, and it got done. And to this day, we still have the world's best freight rail system in good part because of that. Um, Another person, Jesse Hawley, who was a... uh, broke flour merchant in upstate New York. He was in debtor's prison in Geneva, New York, because he couldn't get his goods to market on time over the terrible toll roads up there. He came up with the idea for the Erie Canal, uh, biggest public works project since the Great Pyramids. DeWitt Clinton pushed this through, puts New York and thus America right in the middle of the trading, you know, the Atlantic world Mm -hmm. at the height of the Industrial Revolution. So there's a tremendous impetus to that. Um, and that's proved very attractive to people from all over the world. What I like, I mean, I love the way this thing is laid out. And the craftsmanship on this book, and, and, I, and I understand why. I mean, if you're going to write a book about American ingenuity, this just can't be a paperback, right? So, I mean, the, the craftsmanship sure. here is really high caliber. But you don't just focus on, and we'll get to some of the physical inventions. I mean, you've got, for example, jazz listed uh, as well. Yep. Uh, I, so, so tell me why you would go to things that are more abstract like that, as inventions that you think come out of came out of America and, and impacted the rest of the planet. Yeah, it's pretty a pretty eclectic list. You know, there there are the technical things, of course, the science there, uh, but it, you know, things like jazz are really things 
that most of the rest of the world thinks of as our greatest inventions, and they were man-made as much as anything else. Jazz and the blues, or things that were put together by generations of American craftsmen, as you say, things such as the Pennsylvania or Kentucky long rifle, the prairie schooner, tremendous pieces of folk craft put together by generation after generation of Americans working to, uh, to perfect these things. We'll have more with Kevin Baker, author of America the Ingenious, here next on the show. Listening to Steve Dace. Reminding you that Almighty God is always a majority. This is Steve Dace. The Ingenious, How a Nation of Dreamers, Immigrants, and Tinkers Changed the World. I like the fact that you included video games. I like that. Yes. <laughs> and and, 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 and I, I, don't, I, I mean this because they're a nice release for me. I mean, I, when I come home after doing this show at night and I'm wound up and everybody's in bed, it's a good way to, to wind things down. I even played a couple of games of Madden before I came in here tonight with my nine-year-old son. You know, but... Um, <laughs> You also, I, I think we also, with the invention of the video game, Kevin, didn't we also invent the 27-year-old stay-in-your-mom's-basement gamer boy? We Didn't we invent that? <laughs> you probably don't want to, we, we, we don't take credit for that, though, do we, Kevin? We don't want to take credit for that one? One more excuse to stay at home. I, I think fun is often underrated as a cause for, for, as a motivation for inventing things. One of the very earliest video games, these couple of guys at Brookhaven National Laboratory essentially came up with Pong, uh, something like 20 years mm-hmm. before it was uh, patented. Uh, I played that as a kid before we had the Atari show up. Uh, I'm sorry? I played that as a kid before we had the Atari show up. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm that old too, you know, and it was just, and people loved it, and then they were told like, okay, well, we got to take this apart and get back to serious work. It's, it's, then later on, it, this uh, guy's a refugee from, from uh, Nazi Germany, he's building these TV sets, he comes up with the idea of, hey, why don't we have video games on this? And he's told, you know, get back to work. You're already behind schedule. But he eventually goes and, and creates the first video games. You've got an entire section here dedicated to architecture. Now, obviously, we didn't invent that. So, yeah. there, there, you, that, I mean, there were buildings right before America. I know it seems like there was nothing before us, but I think there were buildings somewhere. But, but I think you're probably referring to our influence on architecture, engineering, along construction along those lines, right? Yeah. It, it's, the thing is, there are all kinds of things. that Very little was invented just by one person in one place. For instance, there was a Buddhist saint who apparently in the 15th century was throwing suspension bridges made of iron across various chasms in the Himalayas. 
But that, great as it is, that's a long way from building, say, the Golden Gate Bridge, which we have in this book here. Uh, it, it, America was very good at taking kernels of ideas from everywhere, as it's often been, and making them into something truly fantastic. And coming up with wholly new things, you know, in architecture, you have steel frame construction that Americans started, and that was really the first new idea, huge new idea in architecture in a thousand years almost, you know, since the, uh, since the Gothic Cathedral. The idea that the interior held up everything, and it didn't matter. You could put on the walls any way you want. You could build a skyscraper, a skyscraper's exterior from the top down, if you felt like. You think how weird that is, what an amazing change that was for people. You know, when I, when I scan through this list of 76 things again, Kevin, what, what's amazing yeah. to me, and you've got everyday things that have changed people's lives for the better, like dry cleaning and some of those things that are very practical and should be listed. But what yeah. I find amazing is when you talk yeah. about the oil rig, our ability now to refine petroleum, to get it out of the ground, right, and how much of our daily lives are, are petro-based products. When you talk about sure. uh, uh, electricity and, and how we were able to bring that indoors and, and change people's lives. And, and I go, you know, the telephone, right. the personal computer. I mean, right. these are things that just that revolutionized the world and, and changed the way we live our lives forever and, and spawned other inventions and ingenuity and technologies because of these particular discoveries. Are we still doing this today? Are, are we still capable right now in 2016 of coming up with these sorts of, of I, I, I hate, I'm, I'm not a progressive by nature politically, so I'll, oh. I'll, I'll use the term in its derivative form. Are we capable of coming up with these things to advance the progress of human civilization? Or, are, are we stymied as a people? No, I think we're very capable of it. And it's funny you should ask that because... When I went out and talked to the Microsoft campus uh, in, in uh, Washington State, you know, really one of the, the centers of invention right now, people were asking me that, too. Some of these people who were inventing things all the time were saying, are we just going to have another app on the phone? Is that going to be the big right. thing? No, I think, I think kind of, you know, what is the term they have for uh, evolution, punctuated equilibrium? I think invention is kind of like that. It, it seems like nothing is happening. And below the surface, there's all sorts of stuff going on that suddenly springs out and transforms things. Things like nanotechnology are going to lead to us being able to build the space elevator up into, uh, up into the sky. That's going to be just remarkable. You're going to be able to travel up on this thin wire and see the whole Earth spread out below you. You're going to have self-driving cars. You're going to have all kinds of inventions that are hugely going to improve our health. Uh, it's, you know, the, the, the future is marvelous if we know how to do it. Hmm. And that's always been sort of the challenge. How do, we, how do we make it right? But there's all kinds of things. You know, it's interesting that the inventions you mentioned, a lot of those were just sort of lying around in front of us for years. Oil was something that kind of, you know, petroleum was something that kind of seeped out of the, well, not petroleum, it's, uh, I guess it's raw, crude oil. Sure. was something that kind of seeped out of the ground from time to time near salt licks. Pioneers saw it, the Indians saw it, and they'd, Use it to maybe lubricate furniture, you know, lubricate machinery a little bit. Yeah, it was fine, but then all of a sudden somebody gets the idea. Well, let's refine this and make it into something much more useful. And oh, hey, we can power cars with it. Um, 
of course, you had to come up with a car for it to, to, to be powered. But that's, that's sort of how it works. Everything just sort of clicks all of a sudden. And, well, what do you know? People didn't think there would really be a use for personal computers. People were sitting around when the personal computer was getting smaller and smaller and more and more powerful and efficient and saying, who's going to want a computer in their home? They were actually trying to sell it on the basis of this will be a great place to store your recipes, uh, Housewives uh, Wives of America. This will be terrific for that. It, little did they know all the uses people were going to put to something, uh, put something to once they had it. Kevin Baker, the author of America, the in, in, Ingenious, and Kevin, what they've got to invent, transporter technology, so I can finally <laughs> travel the world without 18-hour flights in TSA. That's you, you, you tell them that is what the world needs is Star Trek's transporter technology. All right? Or at least flying cars, you know? Indeed. Thank you, Kevin, for joining us. Merry Christmas. Great book. Thanks for being on with us tonight. Thanks for having me. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Same, same to you. You're listening to Steve Dace. We're not saying that God is on our side. We're just trying to get on his. This is Steve Dace. You better watch out. You better not cry. Better not pout. I'm telling you why. This has become our teenage daughter's favorite uh, channel on Spotify. She's got a customized channel. It's just Frank Sinatra singing Christmas music. So what did we learn here tonight, gentlemen? Aaron, I'll start with you. What would you learn? Well, I learned that uh, there, as much as we don't want to, um, 2018 is already upon us uh, in the form of our uh, conversation in hour two with uh, Josh Mandel, who's running for Senate in Ohio. And, um, I, I mean, again, as much as I've said multiple times that the GOP needs to die, we're in a position right now, I say we, they are in a position right now where they can inflict some long-lasting damage on the left if they will only realize how powerful they actually are and uh, the position that they're actually in to take advantage of this opportunity. It, it can happen. I have little faith that the uh, GOP as a whole will actually make it so. But as I said, uh, 2018 is upon us, and already it's not looking not looking good right now for the left. I think my New Year's resolution for 2017 needs to maybe once a month block some time to go to Aaron McIntyre's homeschool so he can teach me about paradoxes I've never heard before. I mean, that was dropping some knowledge, and I'm just like... I'm titillated now. The is <laughs> out there. I, my, it's a mind scramble. So if you can fit me in, I, oh, you I'd like to sit at the feet of the master. Uh, you know, philosophy was my favorite class in uh, college. Oh, you guys are waiting for me to talk now? Yeah. I mean, I can keep... Uh, no, I'm sorry. You're showing off. Uh, well, yeah, I was, you, you ended abruptly uh, with an awkward transition, so I, it threw me off. Or I just wasn't paying attention. It's it's one of the two. <laughs> Could in fact even be both. Since I wasn't paying attention, we'll never. At least I will never know. <laughs> That's a paradox. <laughs> See, he knows all. Mine. Everything is. A, it's like this, York. Everything. This is needs a paradox. to end right now. I'm done thinking. I, I, I'm out of thoughts. I'm out of thoughts. There's no thoughts left. This, the no. brain is empty now. <laughs> the door. The door has been closed. Shut. Repeat. The door has been closed. Shut. 2016 has truly worked you over. <laughs> it has. I didn't know your favorite class was philosophy, really. Yeah, I mean, I had a couple of philo uh, philosophical classes, but man, uh, Professor Sickler, 
at Northwestern. He uh, knew his stuff. I could see him as a Stoic. Can you see Aaron as a Stoic? But yeah, that's the impression I'm getting of his uh, home life right now, basically. I just sit uh, with my legs crossed Indian style <laughs> in front of my um, Christmas tree, thinking about um, uh, thinking about paradoxes, yes. Every once in a while, the only motion he makes is to remove an, that uh, another piece of lint from his navel, and then it's right back to the thinking. It's that's clean, what he does. It's clean right now. That That, brother, is a wild life of a single young male right there. That's wild. Uh, I'm just keeping it real, yo. That does, it doesn't get any... I mean, no wonder your parents tell me all the time they're so worried about you. <laughs> <laughs> They've never done that. I'm just kidding. All right, we'll be back at it again tomorrow until then, John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace.